You're listening to The Story Connective. In this episode, we've gathered generations together to learn more about social artistry. The idea that we are many cultures and those cultures have unique gifts that is really the, I think, the work for the social artist is evoking that in individuals and in cultures and organizations. Welcome to The Story Connective. I'm Rebecca Rhapsody. The Story Connective is dedicated to documenting and sharing inspiring stories of possibility, resilience, and cooperation. Social artistry is a field of study and practice that enables changemakers to be more effective. It helps people engage potential to create a world that works better for everyone. Social artistry practices create space for possibility, creativity, and the resourceful potential present in all individuals and groups. Dr. Jean Houston, founder of Social Artistry and one of the century's most potent thought leaders, has been evoking people and cultures to be more resilient. She is now putting a lot of effort towards engaging the next generation of social artists in order to meet the challenges of the world that we are inheriting. You are about to hear a candid and delightful conversation between four social artists of different generations and backgrounds. Lisa Nelson, Elijah Christopher, Judith Milborn, and myself, Rebecca Rhapsody. We will share our thoughts and experiences of social artistry and how it inspires creative connections and how it can help us face the challenges of our time. Welcome to this, this exciting panel about social artistry. I'm Rebecca Rhapsody, and I'm loosely the host of this, but we're kind of all hosting each other here. And I decided to call up these lovely people because I'm curious about what the potential of social artistry is. So here's a little bit of background of myself. I have a background in theater. I've always been involved in art and creativity, and I'm really grateful for what that's given me in my life and how that has me look at the world. And when I learned about social artistry, it was combining my interest in using theater to, to enhance communication and connection and also address some of the issues that I'm seeing in the world today. And the role of social artistry in my life has been really evocative. It's given me a foundation of being able to know more who I am and being able to be more creative. Like now I'm the kind of person that can put my hand to a piece of paper and write a poem just in a second and go, wow, where'd that come from? And that's a lot of fun. And it, it's just given me a sense of how to navigate myself and show up more fully. So I called together these lovely people because I wanted to hear more about their backgrounds and how social artistry has played a role in their life. And then we can start talking about <clears throat> our experiences in social artistry and what we find the potential of this really fascinating field of study slash possible profession is in the world today. Mm. So who would like to go next? I can go next. Great. So I'm Lisa Nelson, and my background is in, I was a professor in public administration with a specialization in environmental management for um, most of my career. And I was also, prior to that, in the cooperative movement, housing and food co-ops. And then um, since I've become involved with social artistry, which has been about 12, 13 years now, I've been involved in setting up social artistry programs and trainings and working to understand the material as best as I could and um, convey that to people in different settings. And for me, it has just a lot of potential to give people more tools to approach all the situations that we're dealing with right now in the world and in society. So that's me. Mm. Mm. I'll, I'll go. We can go down the line, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I'm Elisha Christopher, and uh, <clears throat> let's see, I have background in lots of things. I spent a number of years um, working in elementary school with children with autism. I have a theater background. And I also have a significant uh, history in the Centers for Spiritual Living. I've been studying to be a minister and just graduating from school. Um, and I've been involved with social artistry for about four and a half, almost five years at this point. And I've kind of come in as a trainer. I've been helping develop curriculum and writing um, sort of new ways of training and offering trainings and really engaging with the whole foundation and the teaching of social artistry and 
a number of really exciting and different ways. And I feel like for me, the biggest way social artistry has, has really impacted me is that it has given an altered context for most of the story of my life. And it's that context, that shift in context that has really dramatically shifted sort of my trajectory and where I see myself going and where I see the world going. And so for me, I feel like one of the biggest impacts of social artistry has been the, the shift in context that it's given me about my life in the world. Thank you, Elijah. Mm -hmm. I'm Judith Annette Milburn. I'm a PhD, a licensed psychologist, and uh, have been for a long, long, long time. <laughs> and uh, I've been acquainted with Jean Houston since in the 80s. And so when she began doing the social art history, I came because it was another interesting thing to do. And I remember when I first came in, uh, in the early 2000, that uh, we had a lot of interesting speakers, a lot of new skills and ideas began to be brought forth. And I was very intrigued. I had no idea what I was going to do with it because I, was, uh, I had a full-time uh, private practice uh, I practice from a depth psychological point of view, so I had plenty to do and was active and busy. Nonetheless, I was still intrigued by what this offers uh, in terms of bringing people together and people working together. I've been interested in social artistry from the place of what does the social artist the person who's doing the training, what do we need to know about ourselves? What training do we need? What abilities do we need uh, to be able to, uh, to go out into the world? And so I've been thinking recently as part of my own process and also in thinking about our conversation today, just about the complexities of our world today. Mm. And as I began to look at it, I saw complexity after complexity after complexity after complexity after complexity at every, at every level, uh, whether it's with regard to uh, each person's individual complexity, the complexities that come because of our culture, where we grew up, our family background, uh, beliefs that we have. Uh, so it's it becomes this wonderful melting pot mm. out of something out of which something huge can begin to develop mm. and or it becomes something with roadblocks that it makes it difficult but anyway i think complex dealing with the complexities of life that we have presented on the world stage today uh, mm. as much as part of me doesn't like that i you know, I grew up in the 50s and everything was nice and sweet. And, you know, there didn't, as far as where I grew up, there didn't seem to be any kinds of conflict. Hmm. But of course, I realized that everything that we're experiencing today was all underneath. Mm -hmm. And so these, their forces have brought out all of this material that's been hidden. And the more we deal with it, the more capable we become. And being whatever this social artist is, I think it's a great challenge. And I'm, I'm excited to just be thinking about it because it's definitely expanded my own uh, awareness, my ability to perceive, you know, maybe what's going on and maybe a little bit about what might be able to be done. Mm -hmm. So I think I'll stop there. <laughs> Awesome. Hmm. I really appreciate, Judith, how you brought up what are the skills and awarenesses that we need to know about our capacities as social artistry trainers, because all four of us are trained in training social artistry and have trained social artistry. I've been experiencing and exploring social artistry for about four years now, and, and that is really important. And I'm, I'm also curious, like follow-up question, you said that there's complexities upon complexities upon complexities. So when you're saying complexities, are you saying that the culture in which I was brought up and how that interacts with the cultures that are around me, like those are kind of like complexities and other complexities. It's kind of like the right. context is even a complexity, like where I was brought up 
my definition of self, things like that. Right. And the, well, we start off just looking at, if you have a group of people here, none of us have had the same growing up experience. Mm -hmm. And if you look at uh, people who may have had difficult childhoods in one way or the other, they've had privileged childhoods, they've had childhoods with experiences, they've they've had childhoods where they can learn a lot. They, all of those set a person up with a different level of acceptance and mm -hmm. expectation about what to do. Then we have religious, then we have cultural, then we have gender. Mm -hmm. And all of that just can be a stumbling block or it can be this wonderful, uh, as Rumi says, out beyond the notions of right and wrong, there's a field. Mm. I'll meet you there. <laughs> and it's that field, I think, that we're looking for. Mm -hmm. And that we're inviting people to. And inviting, yeah. right, definitely. Well, and I think right now, too, what we're seeing a lot of on sort of the world stage, as you put it before, is that difference is rising up in a way and overlapping in ways that it didn't used to where you were talking about growing up in the 50s and you felt like your world was right. really not as complex as it is now and i feel right. like part of it is because so much of our expansion of culture and globalization and the expanding of and just the melting pot that even the united states is where for so much of our history we were in homogenous societies and not really faced with the levels of difference that we are mm -hmm. now and that it's when we're faced with the overlapping differences of culture, of race, of these different backgrounds, of economic status, of all the different overlapping differences, these become these really high levels of complexity that we have to figure out how to navigate because we don't live in this, in this simple homogenous culture where we all have a similar understanding. Yeah. That we are, we're, we're experiencing multiple levels, of multiple overlapping worldviews that we're all trying to navigate through together and still live in the same world. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that Rumi quote. I didn't know it so much because we talk about the field of social artistry and it's kind of mm -hmm. like that's the field we're talking about. Mm -hmm. right? Like how can I get to know myself and how can how can there be a, a, a way, like experiential processes? Because that's what's really amazing about social artistry too. It's not about reading a book. It's about experiencing things. Like when I close my eyes, I can have this internal experience and get to know parts of myself that I didn't know were there before. And when we do that together and we're all experiencing all these different parts of ourselves we didn't know, and then we come back to this shared space and talk about that, we're expanding. I've expanded like what I know is possible and I get to understand the differences between me and other people, which is really mm -hmm. juicy. Um, but these experiences and getting to go through these experiences in social artistry, there's there's four general lenses or awarenesses or levels of, of awareness, realms, whatever you want to call them, um, which is recognizing the world in a physical way, in a sensorial way, like taste, touch, smell, sound, that type of thing. Uh, and then the next one is recognizing the psychological and historical context, and then the mythic symbolic context, and then also the unitive context. And we bring people through those experiences having a participatory experience doing these things and then getting to compare our experiences. And perhaps through doing those things, perhaps we do end up in that field where like past right and wrong, there is a field. I'll meet you there because we're, we can't keep doing this right and wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. This country is right. That country is wrong. This country deserves to live and that country doesn't deserve to live. We can't do that anymore. We're going to, destroy everything yeah i've been um, been looking at also this thing of what does a social artist do mm. uh because i started out kind of thinking that this was something that we just kind of expanded our abilities and gene uh, has always talked about human capacities and how to expand those human capacities uh, like in the beginning days that we worked together, we would do all of these kinds of exercises to expand our capacities and our understanding. And they were exciting and wonderful. So there's this beginning level that we all have to start at somewhere. And so the work that needs to be done for a person who is just beginning to be initiated, shall we say, or opened or exposed, 
is one thing. Then if the social artist is looking at what we do to grow once we've been exposed. Mm -hmm. And then several years ago, uh, Jean talked about the development of leadership skills that make us more able to navigate and handle the world that are more than the uh, than the leadership skills of the 30s and the 40s. Which right. most people are trained for. Yes. Right. And that's all we kind of know. Mm-hmm. And so how do we get ourselves, how do we ourselves learn how to make these steps, these jumps almost? And how do we discover what's going on with us so that we can then bring that out? Because it's not something you're going to, it's going to take more than the experiences of the four levels that you've just talked about, Mm -hmm. even though that's a very central part of understanding. So I think we have these various levels I had never thought of before. Since we started thinking about this conversation today, I've thought about things I'd never thought about. I think one of the the concepts that I got from Jean that's been very helpful in world activism kind of thinking is that each of us individually are many different cultures. Mm -hmm. All the things going on, that complexity. But that also all the world's cultures have very distinct personalities and gifts Mm -hmm. and that part of where the development of social artistry came from for Jean was the idea of evoking the genius Mm. in each of these cultures where, you know, when you think about the history and the timing of decolonialization and development around the world, you know, and first nations, third nations, North, South, all those Mm -hmm. kinds of divisions. Her idea was that a lot of people who were being trained in old style leadership development it was same old, same old in a way that didn't fit or respect or yes. enhance mm-hmm. that home culture. And so in taking this work around the world with the UN Development Program in the Philippines, Albania, places in the Caribbean, Nepal, a lot of it was to help people who were coming into sort of decentralized, mid-level leadership positions really appreciate that their culture had something unique to offer rather than just imitating Western culture mm-hmm. and, right. and trying to catch up with Western, you know, that framework. And there's there have become a lot of politics and deconstruction and all sorts of things about all those concepts. But the idea that we are many cultures and those cultures have unique gifts that is really the, I think, the work for the social artist is evoking that in individuals and in cultures and organizations. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking that just kind of made me start thinking about the art of social artistry, mm-hmm. which is to me, the art of social artistry is about approaching societal change and our work in the world as an artist would their art. Mm-hmm. And so really about, when we think about like emerging into this world of emerging complexity, emerging complexities, and we've talked about previous generations' ideas of how to manage, of you know management, and then that doesn't fit in a in a later emerging complex world, and that the art of the social artist is possibility, is to be able to look at something and look through it through a creative lens, mm-hmm. as an artist would a canvas and see it as completely blank and full of infinite possibility. And how can I now work around this new situation? How can I work with the medium and the tools that are available right now to create something that hasn't been created before? Yeah. And I believe that when we're activating all of these different capacities, as we take people through the levels and as we start to teach the levels and all these different experiences that we wake up within the different realms of the being, that all of those are to give us different ways of looking so that when we approach a problem, we're not just stuck heading at it face on. We can start to look at it from all different angles and different perspectives and start to think about the different layers of the thing and which pieces can we move and how can we shift Mm -hmm. the situation and not be stuck in a single frame of mind, but we actually have multiple levels and multiple dimensions to perceive from that allow us to start to think differently about the problems that are facing us so that we can continuously build and evolve our society, our management styles, our ways of doing things to match the complexities that are evolving continuously. 
So that in the moment with whoever, whatever group we're with, we're able to hear what's being said Mm -hmm. and experienced and create something new even out of that experience in the moment because that's a unique group Mm -hmm. that's sitting there. And I think bringing in art and song and dance and music into straight, objective-oriented meetings is also an important practice for social artistry. Well, I think, too, part of the practice of social artistry is not only recognizing the genius and bringing the genius forth from individual personal cultures or collective cultures, but it's also about from the individual and from the collective building culture and creating culture anew and bringing all of those elements into places where perhaps they've been lost or extracted and bringing them back and building new cultures around new ways of doing things. Your comment reminded me of a story that I wanted to add because it's helpful for me to kind of grasp some of these concepts through story. Jan Sanders, who's one of the, the best social artistry trainers out there that's worked in over 30 different countries and 135 different communities, she was in Malaysia, a small town in Malaysia, and this was in the 1970s. And she was telling me that what she was doing there wasn't something that people usually did when they were coming into a small, quote, third world country to, to help them. What she was doing is she was going to the people in these rural villages and saying, what do you need? What do you, what do you, what do you need? What would help make your life easier? And particularly going to the women, which is interesting. And um, having these meetings that enable different people with different geniuses, like mm-hmm. we said, different backgrounds, coming together to have a collaborative communication about it. So having women from these rural villages in the same space as businessmen that are outside of these rural villages, in the same space as governmental officials, in the same space of, of a variety of different people coming in from different sectors, and together understanding how to move forward in a way that's not just about one group coming in and saying, oh, here's, here's what you need, but listening to the people that are there and, and responding to that unique beauty that is in every culture, because these cultures have their own personalities. And their um, own stories. Yeah. Their myths. Yeah, mm-hmm. and allowing it to come up from there, which is, is a lot more resilient, I think, to me, because it comes from that place of genuine beingness. And that, too, relates to the art part mm-hmm. of social artistry. Because, again, my background's in theater. And I remember um, when I studied it professionally on the first day of school, they, they said to us, one of the main professors did, if you can do anything else, go do it. <laughs> because this is not an easy life. Like, if you want to be a professional <laughs> actress or a professional theater person in the world, you're going to be making sacrifices. You're going to be living a pretty unsteady existence compared to, say, an accountant. Theater, <laughs> to me, just, like, gets under my skin. Like, it's not about making money. It's not about, um, like, I guess there's some part of, like, ego in it sometimes, but it's mostly just about the wanting to do it. Like, I just want to do it. I just want to have people come together and collaborate and to make this thing that's living in this realm of possibilities that's only going to arise when this group of people comes together to make this this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a little microcosm of what I think social artistry can do. I think that's our challenge to help us all trust our own intuition, our own knowledge, what our experience has been so that in the moment we can listen and hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think there's also, just with the artist analogy piece of this, an artist gets to know their materials, and they get to know how things work together. And, and I think the social artist is always tracking, like, who's got what piece mm-hmm. that can be brought into this situation. Mm-hmm. You're so good at that. You know, and <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I remember um, the first year that I was back at school, after coming to social artistry, I was working with a low-income community in Pomona, and it was a neighborhood that was overcrowded because you had several families sharing apartments, many undocumented people, and we were we had been doing a leadership capacity training program even prior to me going to social artistry, and it was like coming back and going, okay, well, what can I do to get in get the arts in here, and who do I know? that would, you know, shift this a little bit. So it turned out one of my students was an African-American woman who had been in a 
Swedish singing group. I mean, had been a rock and roll star in Sweden for several years. And she came to the neighborhood and did a a children's choir for Christmas. Wow. You know, and then I got tricked. I, I had a really good yoga teacher. And I said, hey, why don't you come do a yoga class with the women in the neighborhood? And um, she came once, and then um, she couldn't come. And she said, so now you have to teach it. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I could have seen this coming. But, you know. <laughs> and that's the other thing. It's it's kind of the improv, the improv mm, rules of yeah. say yes, you know, and keep each other looking yeah. good. and. And that kind of thing. Yeah. There seems to be a focus in social artistry that's that's more subtle than some other things, but I see it in a lot of different places, and I know it's more important than I've even realized so far, which is the element of joy. Like, going into these situations and being willing to be joyful. Mm. Can you guys talk about that a little bit more, like the power of bringing joy? Mm. I had the opportunity in 2008 to go to Nepal and and help... Jan do a train the trainer with some people, organizational leaders who were in various government and nonprofit agencies. And it was interesting because compared to Americans, they were so joyful. Just, I mean, Americans mm-hmm. love social artistry, but the Nepalis really love social <laughs> artistry. And they were so excited, and, and a part of it, it was that contrast. It's like usually, you know, when they would go to some official training, leadership training thing, it was all very serious, and write on the chalkboard and take notes, you know, and we're doing post, you know, we're doing all these things and, and moving our bodies, and I thought coming away from there that I would live to see the day that the Nepalis would come to the United States to teach social artistry to the Americans. Beautiful idea. Mm. Yes. You know? And the Zambians, too. If you ever look at Marielena Granger's YouTubes of the Zambians celebrating getting their certificates in social artistry, it's great. I mean, you know, it's dancing and singing and clapping and making hats, official graduation caps that they all wore out of construction paper that they kept. And it's made a difference. There are people there who have gotten better jobs because they had this certificate Mm. in social artistry leadership training. Mm. Hearing that too reminds me that the roots of social artistry come out, among many things, world anthropology. And Mm -hmm. how cultures all over the world have art, have song, have dance. They might not have a written language, but they will have song and dance. It is part of being human. So maybe that's a human capacity. Well, and part of that joy is is part of that capacity as well. Because you think about almost anything we do with Jean, she's having us celebrate and dance and get up and move and get into, you know, and there's this whole element of celebrate your capacity, celebrate your success, celebrate your possibility, like be in Le- the joy. Leave your inhibitions at the door, yeah, she says. Yeah, you know, and really be willing to dance your possibility, be willing to dance into your ideas, be willing to fully celebrate who and what is coming through you, you know? And there's, I think part of that celebration is the, the joy is the activation of the potential. You know, it's when we, right. when we can get into the joy of possibility, we open ourselves up to something else. Well, that may be one of the primary things that has happened to all of us when we started the training is that we had to get up and move. We mm-hmm. had to think, we drew, we, you know, we had to move and we weren't just sitting in our little desk with our fountain pen in our hand and (laughs) hoping we didn't make a mess on the paper. Giving ourselves permission to develop our human capacities is in and of itself a huge, a huge step because we only think of reading, writing, and arithmetic. (laughs) And so knowing that that's a very limited uh, scope of what the capacities are that we have. One of the greatest things that I did in early work with Jean is she took us through the whole evolutionary process. Mm -hmm. And we were every level of animal. I mean, we were crawling on the floor like Mm -hmm. snakes. And we were, you know, we were birds. We were monkeys. We were everything. And it took us out of our Mm -hmm. uptightness here. (laughs) I think I knew I was in the right place. She had been drawing some of her lecture from her book, Jump Time. Mm-hmm. And to get people into that, she had Paul put on the Pointer Sisters' Jump 
<laughs> right. And, you know, and dance, dance to that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> this will do. <laughs> Paul Briggs is Gene's longtime audio engineer, recorder, and Music. musical genius who yeah. can call up and play whatever she asks for. On the spot. The electric slide and drum <laughs> music and there's people in my life like my dad recently came to the last social artistry odyssey it was amazing he's 75 years old and now we have this depth this shared vocabulary like this shared material that we mm. can have these conversations with which is really enriching amazing. and we were doing an exercise with jean houston and she had us dance because like we really had to be in our bodies and out of our minds like you're just gonna have to dance for two songs straight before we do this process so I thought that was really interesting. And then I'm looking around and I see my dad dancing with such gusto and abandon. I'd never seen him like that in my entire life. There's something about these trainings too that allow for, mm -hmm. for that creativity, mm -hmm. that, that abandoned child. When he became a parent, he probably out. thought he had to leave all of that joy behind, you know. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of parents do. Right. Not necessarily him, but a lot of parents do. A lot do. of parents, yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I'm now I'm wondering if joy is an avenue to creativity. Mm. Did you think of children as being such joyous beings, and their the joy is in that curiousness and in that just sort of openness to possibility and what's right. what's coming, and they're so creative, and there's no limit to the to where thought can go when you're a child and you're imagining and thinking about possibilities and. And I think we get trained oftentimes to be sort of ashamed of being wrong or of those sort of things. And when we're in joy, there's no shame in, in mm -hmm. making a mistake or looking silly if you're dancing right. or, you know, we just, we let go of a lot of those inhibitions when, when we have joy and joy mm -hmm. then opens up, I feel like is the, sort of the key to the doors mm -hmm. of creativity, you know, because when we're in joy, we don't have all the inhibitions that block our creative process or that limit our curiosity or that stop us from asking the questions right. that we might want not ask because we're afraid of how we're going to look if we don't know something. And we get punished for for drawing purple trees, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, for wiggling in our chair. And mm -hmm. yeah. all we're wanting to do is just move, dance. There's something yeah. in that point that, that gets back into the more connection to the inner world and the, the human capacities of that. And... Uh, I've had conversations with Judith about like internal, how we're, we're all of the things, the full spectrum. Um, some really helpful internal contexts to my own internal complexity. Does that resonate with you guys to talk a little bit more about that? Well, that's the kind of thing that I work with all the time is that any, any uh, attribute of ourselves that we treasure and like to live out of we also have its opposite mm. that is usually unexpressed, either undeveloped or is repressed. And if we could let that be known to us, then we would have the dance of the opposite uh, abilities here. And so we could have the ability to sit still when necessary and dance with abandon at other times. And so to learn how to move back and forth between all of those capacities, that's I think a part of the training because the social artist has got to be comfortable with the complexities within themselves before they can help them come out of other people. Mm -hmm. And I think another important piece that I picked up was just the deep seeing of another person. Exactly. And the, um, the exercise that um, she has with one of the dances, I think it's the Enos Mythos, mm -hmm. where you have deep eye contact with people as you go around the circle. And she sort of primes it by saying, you know, to remember that you know this person of old. I've that, known you of old. You know, that you've done something with them way back. Like, oh, you dropped the stone on my foot when we were building the pyramids. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> she'll, she likes to make jokes like that. But there is a, a feeling that builds in a group when they've had that chance to really try to see each other at a deep level. Yeah. Josai, who's a, another social artist who I've learned a lot from, he says that, it's, that we, we learn to see the genius in one another mm -hmm. and to be in a community of people where that's a common culture, mm -hmm. that we look at each other so and we see each other's potential and the, the amazing mystery awe that Passages. is that whole person and what they can become mm -hmm. is really empowering for a group of people. Yeah. Yeah. 
rather than trying to get us all in a straight jacket mold mm -hmm. where we are afraid to not look good enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's our whole ego is wanting to be good enough and to look a certain way and to look good and be good. But to be able to bust out of that and just be who we are. Mm -hmm. I'd also say that's part of the social complexities because mm -hmm. we've been taught, we've been programmed to look a certain way. And if I don't look that certain way, then there's something wrong with me. Like, I'm not enough. Wait, but that's my culture. I want to <laughs> keep that. <laughs> well, I just had a thought, too, which is really just kind of like this is percolating right now as this conversation is happening. But the social artist is someone who really recognizes how deeply complex their own internal world is with your whole cast of characters and your inner crew and your whole mountain of the self. And there's a all whole, the all the archetypes and all the myths and all the symbols and the, 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 the social artist is really able to look internally at the self and recognize how deeply complex and how layers and layers and how I have lifetimes where I have we've been connected since Egypt or whatever and I exist on multiple timelines and there's parts of me that exist on, you know and, they, and we exist on this really almost quantum version of the self that has this internal level of complexity and I wonder if developing that level of internal complexity really allows us to then recognize how deep the rabbit hole goes in others mm. and to be able to look beyond surface differences mm. and recognize the complexity that lives inside of each person because we've contacted it within ourselves, And then that level of internal complexity allows us to look at a rapidly, uh, a world that is becoming rapidly more complex and to be able to meet it from internally at the same level of complexity to be able to continually evolve with it. Mm. Nice. I agree with you, and what's uh, along the line of one of the pieces I was thinking about is that there are some people who, from their culture or religious background, would be horrified to think of you telling me that we had helped build the pyramids <laughs> or anything else, because that is not within the realm mm -hmm. of their particular belief system. And then other people would be horrified to be dancing and with abandon and, and fully expressing ourselves. So I think that's another piece here that we have to be aware of. Right. There's a cultural sensitivity. In Kenya, when they were there, they ran into the training that missionaries had provided mm. to, to the people there that you didn't want to close your eyes because then the devil would you know mm. work Get on you. you. Well, and so they, you know, they had to adapt several of the processes and also to explain how imagining was a natural part of human life and not something that, you know, was sending you off into the wrong direction. So that there is a, a balance there in how do we cross that divide of otherness when, mm -hmm. when even when it's in our own society. Right. Yeah. My exploration this summer of the notion of implicit bias and full, more fully seeing the unconscious ways that we have a bias for or against something. Mm -hmm. And it can be something very slight, but it makes a huge difference. And so I think the social artist trainer has to be aware of what those are for themselves, you know, what yeah. what subtle things that may not appear on the surface, but we need to be able to see them and then accept them and work with them. Mm -hmm. I've also mm -hmm. been surprised, though, because in a lot of contexts where I thought people might be resistant or afraid, they were able to relate to things that I wasn't expecting them to be mm -hmm. able to relate to. I think sometimes we're a little too conservative in, in what our outreach mm -hmm. or offerings in different contexts might be. So kind of like go for it, and then if mm -hmm. if difficulties come up, just be with it, sit with it, talk, talk about it. Talk about it, right. Mm -hmm. And listen, be curious. Be curious. Mm -hmm. Inquiry. I want to read some of these social artist competencies, like what a social artist learns to do. Um, and this is, again, from Jean Houston. You embrace the work of repatterning human nature. Hmm. What is it to think like a planetary citizen, to appreciate cultures and cultural stories and myths while searching for the emergence of a new myth, to offer new models and paradigms of organization, to exhibit the joy of being a lifelong learner, to bring laughter and delight to learning and change, 
to serve as a healer of people and societies, and to balance one's life so that contemplation and meditation informs each action. Mm. Mm. You read the first one again, Repatterning Human... Embrace the work of repatterning human nature. And to be fair, I think that's the main thing. Like these yeah. other little yeah, things that's, does that's this. I wanted to get that first one yeah. again. I felt like is it, it human nature or is it human learning? Human nature. But I, I'd like human learning. Because <laughs> I wonder if we're wanting to get to our human nature. Yeah. You know, we, because it would be a we, good idea. We've well, we had the, a straight on. So well, and yeah. I think that that's, that's repatterning. Me. Because I, I think of the psychological historical realm as when we first come into contact with it, the version of the self that we meet is often our conditioned self. Mm-hmm. Yes. The one who has been patterned and built and sort of programmed by life, by teachers, by religion, by television, by experiences, by punishment, by reward, oh. by everything. And it's been completely conditioned by, by its experiences. Fear of hell, often. Yeah. And that and that self has been sort of almost caged. You know, and then as we come totally. to so as we come to social artistry, we start to sort of break down the bars of that cage and start to recognize that I have the capacity to be the programmer of my own thinking, and then I can put in new patterns of of new. I can remythologize my story, or I can rebuild my so I can go back in the past and I can shift a moment in time. And then we start to realize that I'm not the victim of the conditioning of the world that has given me. That I am actually the artist exactly. of my own the artist of my own thought, mm-hmm. and that we have we start to gain the capacities to really start to shift back to our human nature, I think is actually what we're talking about here. So repatterning human learning to rebirth our human nature in a sense. And another really important part of social artistry is recognizing the time in which we are living and Mm -hmm. that we're living with more complexity than we ever have before. Like even between the 1950s, growing up in the 1950s versus growing up in 2017, huge different experience Mm -hmm. and that growing up in the 1950s is more life experience than somebody who grew up 300 years ago or 500 years ago or 2000 years ago ever experienced in ancient rome the majority of the the people were farmers that never walked farther than i think 10 miles from where they were born Mm -hmm. and now we're flying all over the world and we we are being asked to read plus we look at our telephone and see stories from everywhere yeah and that that does require some some new human capacities possibly to be able to let go and find that common understanding even though so much is changing so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even just to be able to cope with a rapidly evolving, ever-changing a world that is becoming much more complex every moment, really at an exponential level at this point. Um, and that we have to be able to rise up and meet the new problems and the new conditions and the new things that are coming wave after wave after wave, especially as we start to look at the next few decades when... We are really, as a human civilization, going to have to rethink about how we do right. just about everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe that the social artist, that the capacities that we wake in social artistry are what we need to start thinking about these bigger problems. Because all, you know, as Einstein, or I think it was Einstein, you know, we can't solve it from the level of the problem. Same mm-hmm. And all, if we keep thinking at the level that created all of our problems and that is keep pushing us where we're going we're not going to get very far as a civilization Mm -hmm. much further. And we've got to start reshaping our thinking and being able to think outside of the problem and start thinking of whole new systems of how to do things. And we have to be able to be willing to think from these different capacities in order to do that. Well, and that makes me think of the the trim tab teaching, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is realize that we're in chaos, but that there are also a lot of opportunities in chaos is the old, superstructures and institutions fall apart Mm. but then we also have to notice where we're dependent on those institutions Mm -hmm. and come up with more resilient scaled responses to the needs that those institutions have been providing in the past Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and then the other thing is timing is this the right moment is this the tipping point for a new idea a new way of thinking in this organization in this situation and the keystone species, mm-hmm. you know, who who are the key people that mm-hmm. what they do, the rest of it follows. And a good example of that internationally is the recognition that if you can get young girls educated, so many things change in the society mm-hmm. that were problems for decades, mm-hmm. um, you know, following 
the colonial piece. And then the trim tab itself, it's like, and this is, you know, this is again, another artist's viewpoint is what is that small thing that if we move that, we can move the big thing. That's a huge, huge. meditation, you know, yeah. to, to really look at the situation that you're thinking about in a way of where do these elements show up in this situation? And some people would say it's a strategic action. Mm -hmm. And in, in a way it is, but the idea that there are probably many little ways that you can make a little change and have a big impact. Right. Yeah. And I love that, that that has been such a an important teaching of social artistry. Mm -hmm. I agree with everything you've said, and I want to add another complexity. <laughs> because I think we're experiencing that in our world. We've been through a period of time in the last 20, 30, 40 years where there have been rapid social change. A lot has gone on. Mm -hmm. And we see what's happening now is that there are other forces that are wanting to put a stop to that. They're digging their heels in. Because one of the things I've learned from other teachers I've had is that when there is so much social change or any kind of change, particularly social over a short period of time, there will be the same amount of power that wants to hold the way it used to be, hold the old-time religion, mm -hmm. keep things the way they used to be, make America great again, whatever it is, to go back to the way it was. So these forces seem to also keep things from going too fast because mm -hmm. there are many people that aren't ready to move that fast. Mm -hmm. And so part of the question I ask myself in social artistry, how do we help people who are willing to consider that they might be able to make changes, whereas before they have been very hesitant, even frightened mm. to make a change? Mm. But I think if we can begin to expect when, just like because there had been so much stasis before, everything had been the way it had been for so long, it's kind of like when the doors of change begin to open, you know, particularly in the 60s with the flower children and everything that they brought in. That just went way too fast mm -hmm. for so many people. Mm. So um, yeah. I can't keep up. It's yeah. it's interesting how these complex and, and how one little thing, a trim tab, may make a difference. Mm hmm. Well, and I really love thinking of the trim tab, like you were saying, is how do we look at what are the subtle changes that we can make that are going to have big impact long down the line, you know, and what little ways can we start to make those changes so that we aren't trying to force society to change too quickly, like you're saying, you know, how do we look at situations and find the little I things I don't think that we we're that change? much in control of how yeah. it happens. Yeah. I think once you begin to open up the gates... There are forces that will take that the will change move. really yeah. fast. Yeah. And I also, you know? yeah, once you open up the gates, there are forces that will take it really fast. And that even comes into the art mm -hmm. and recognizing what are the different skills and the different geniuses that are available in any space where, you, where change is happening. And art, most art, in, in my opinion, is essentially a story. It's essentially some type of experience and emotion that we want people to feel. And... I think one of the things that we're learning how to do right now is learning how to feel at a deeper mm. level. Mm. Um, it's been mm. so easy to not feel things and to numb ourselves out. And art kind of offers us this opportunity to do something different, to feel a little bit more in a certain experience. Um, we're in Ashland, Oregon right now, right? Mm -hmm. And Ashland, Oregon has some of the most cutting edge theater that I've seen. Just yesterday, I went and saw a play that was written by a Native American mm. playwright and takes yeah. the Shakespeare play, Measure for Measure, that's been around for ages, and translates it to the early 1900s mm -hmm. and infuses these lines and these, these stories of what it meant to be a indigenous person at that time, taken away from your family, taken away from your traditions, told that you're not allowed to speak those languages anymore. And 
to watch that play on stage and all the possibilities and perspectives that are, are that I'm now allowed to understand on a more deeper empathic level because I got to watch it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I got to see that story coming to life in front of me. That kind of helps open the gate. There's a lot of power there. Yes. And I'll point out the amazing social artistry that came through that play because I saw that oh, yeah. a little while back was that there was so much really deep, really important, really heavy historical information that was given across through that play over and over and over again. And there was such a strategic, humorous, lighthearted note that moved through it. They would say something really deep and horrifying, and then there would be this little comic relief moment that would happen. And it allowed me to take in so much information over those couple hours Mm -hmm. and not walk away feeling heavy and like I hadn't, like I didn't know what to do with it, but walked away inspired and informed and really had a lot to chew on. But there was such an artistry in the way that that information was given that it was, it was able to offer something really impactful without people walking away with a bad taste and not knowing what to do with it. Yeah. And I think that that's something that we're, we're being called to do is to be able to navigate that. I was just having the thought after what I said a minute ago that I don't think I've ever heard in the public eye someone say, we're going through a lot of change and we've come from this place and this is what's happening. How can we be aware of this? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just, I'm aware that I've, I've been kind of unconscious for a lot of my life and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I may not have been aware of things, but I think that would be something we might do. As social artists say, this is the way we've been, and this is what's happening now. How can we navigate this in a way that makes sense? Mm. That would involve maybe not the whole country, but it might involve unexpected places. Mm-hmm. Well, I know locally we have social artists who are in leadership roles in the Ashland Culture of Peace Please. Commission, in Peace House, in the Pachamama Alliance, right. in, well, the Wellsprings, mm-hmm. and the co-op. And it's it's interesting just to see how people are trying to create venues for change in a variety of ways, and that some people will be pulled in into one style of change making and another you know somebody else might be pulled into a different style and I think that's nice too is just just present possibilities present choices and in ways to talk about things Mm -hmm. and what this brings up is that people who do that don't necessarily bring forth the Uh, four levels and the exercises in doing what they do out in the world. They maybe have had this as part of their training, but they are, uh, I should say, and they're doing something that is bringing forth change and they're not necessarily enacting those exercises that we've learned Mm -hmm. that are part of social artistry, but they're doing something there. But those are available. I mean, right? They're available. But I used to think you had to do those in order to do social artistry. Well, and I think that a lot of the practices are about helping pattern our thinking into new and open ways. I agree with that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. which is so important because thinking about women, for example, for a long time, for hundreds of years, certain doors were closed to certain people of color Uh and certain genders. Um, including people that don't say that they're male or female, but there's someplace in between. That's all emerging right now. And it does take certain keystone species, I perceive, to be open Mm -hmm. and to be open-minded to what's right and what's wrong and that not even being a thing. It's all right. It's all Mm -hmm. complex. Mm -hmm. And to allow these voices and to allow these opportunities to happen in this world. Because that definitely moves change in a way that is to be a planetary citizen and is to evoke and be a world that does work for everyone and not just those who happen to have the power that happen to have the dominant paradigm. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think the four levels, they are perspectives that you can look at at a situation, but they are also, for me, 
the process of the mountain of the self, the mm-hmm. fact that you have all this unexplored territory mm-hmm. inside oh, inside yeah. yourself, and that each level has just infinite possibilities and decor and mm-hmm. you know activity and who shows up and mm-hmm. um, one of the longtime social artists Betty Rothenberger. Mm has talked about all the furnishings that she's put in at different levels. Like this temple over here on the mythic level I use for when this is happening. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I have this in the psychological level so that I can invite someone to come have an intelliki to intelliki conversation. And she just really works those four levels and uses it for her, for herself. Her she's real situation. Yeah. Well, and there's something, sorry, I don't know, I off, uh, no, well, there's something so incredibly potent that has been for me, especially about using the mountain of the self practice as a way of building my internal landscape. Exactly. Because I feel like a person who actually has an internal landscape where we can store things and invite people and go find things has much more access to different parts of themselves and different Mm -hmm. ways of thinking. If I know that I can go into a particular room where there's an aspect of me sitting there with, you know, a ledger that's doing, you know, that there's, there's a certain part of my mind that's accessible to me. If I have a landscape that I know how to go internally and go find that particular place, go find that certain aspect of me that thinks a certain way or that has the ability to sort of look at things a certain way. Like the more that we can navigate that, the more we can begin to continuously access more capacities of the self. As we mm-hmm. as we know how to navigate our internal realm, and I think that's a really potent and necessary skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was thinking that we would just have a chance to go down and just say anything else that we want to say. I invite you to share stories if there's one that's calling to you. I think we're at a very fertile time in social artistry. It seems like that we're. At one level, this isn't entirely true, but at one level, there's been a period of germination Mm. since the ideas were first begun 20, 30 years ago with Gene, 20, 25 years ago. And we've been doing what we've been doing. And because we're asking questions, because we're looking at several dimensions of social artistry, I'm, I'm wondering what new things can come forward. Because just when we ask questions and look at where we've been to see what then wants to happen after that. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate your work over the years, Lisa, in, uh, in helping to move things forward in trim tab after trim tab after trim tab. <laughs> and it's, it's been noted. <laughs> Thank you. Lisa, by the way, has been the organizer of the Social Artistry Summit that's happened for 10 years and all sorts of things. She's really done amazing organizational work to bring the social artistry community mm-hmm. together and create these moments of juicy yeah. connection and conversation. Thank mm-hmm. you so much, Lisa. Thank you. That may be one of the main functions of social artistry is to help create communities. Mm-hmm. And so I've had a new appreciation for the term community development. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Building community and building culture. Uh-huh. Yeah. Honoring culture. Um, I don't know whether we build it, but honoring. I think both. I think we're honoring cultures that have, we honor culture as it is, and we call from it what is there. But I think Mm. part of social artistry is also building new culture as we go forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that we started talking about were, you know, what are the principles that need to be brought forward in a future social artistry you know what are the values that are important and that that's a culture building activity is to to state those pieces yeah Yeah. Yeah. thank you so much all of you you for coming together and having this i had so much fun Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes i feel like we'll probably do this again (laughs) episode two Well, thank you for pulling us together to do this. This is fun. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. We had a great time talking and sharing our experiences with social artistry in this conversation. If you have any comments or questions or anything to add to this conversation, please reach out to Rhapsody at storyconnective.org. That's R-H-A-P-S-O-D-Y at storyconnective.org. The play we talked about during this podcast is titled Off the Rails and is written by Randy Reinholz, a brilliant playwright of Choctaw lineage. 
If you would like to learn more about social artistry, visit the Jean Houston Foundation's website at www.jeanhoustonfoundation.org. The Story Connective is 100% listener and viewer supported. The stories we see and hear shape what we think is possible. And we at Story Connective want to help more people be part of a positive future. We really appreciate your support. Please become a patron, meaning you give us a small donation each time we create a piece of content. Or you can make a one-time donation. Both are very helpful for us to keep doing this in the world. You can learn more on our website, www.storyconnective.org. Thank you for your support. Interview by Rebecca Rhapsody at storyconnective.org. Audio recording by Loxley Clovis at storyconnective.org. Audio production by Loxley Clovis. The intro song is Which That Is This by Dr. Turtle, released under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The outro song is by Rebecca Rhapsody. Special thanks to our non-profit fiscal sponsors, ELSA, at E-L-L-S-S-A dot O-R-G. The purpose of this audio interview is for non-profit education, news, and commentary. This podcast is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike License. Thank you for listening to The Story Connective.